Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast, a show on which everyday creatives share their unique journeys. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, and podcast coach, and also your host. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This is so, so exciting. I'm doing a special episode today for Black History Month. And just before we start, I'd like to thank JewishCoffeeHouse.com for being a proud supporter. And I'd like to also announce that we have released, finally, the music video, If You Wanna Be, with Rachel Sam. If you haven't checked out that episode, please go back and make sure to check it out. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to click on the show notes to check out this new music video, share it with your friends, make sure to like and comment. Today we are doing a special episode and if you have seen my post online, I already said this is going way out of my comfort zone, but I don't care because I feel a calling to use my platform to have conversations like this. So without any further ado, the guest on our show today is Aliyah Shah who lives in my community, and she has done my makeup for some of my photo shoots, and that's how we know each other. She has kindly uh, agreed to come on to this episode for Black History Month. What's interesting is that Ali Shaw is African-American and from from birth and originally from North Carolina and now from Philadelphia. So let's just start out with straight up Black History Month. For anyone like me who has not learned traditionally in school about Black History Month, for anyone listening, I grew up in Moscow, Russia, teach us something. Hence the beautiful accent. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Teach us something, teach me something I don't know, and maybe choose one person you want to share a little bit about. Sure. Um, I guess the most I could do justice to is probably myself. I don't really... I mean, there's tons of figures, tons out there that are like inspirational and amazing to me Um, from Cicely Tyson, who just passed. I love all her stuff, all her movies, all her um, talks, all her speeches. I find her pretty phenomenal. Um, But there's not really anybody that like I know personally as well as myself. So I guess I'll just stick to what I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I guess the point for me would be to educate about like, Black issues and um, Black representation and or the lack of it. <laughs> um, we could really go either way, wherever I'm an open book. Um, and yeah. We'll go into, tell us in a few sentences, just a, sure. a few key moments or parts of your lives, just so anyone listening can have a little glimpse into who you are, besides for being so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but anyone listening can't really see that. Sure. But um. And then we'll go into the conversations and the topics, and I'll yeah. talk a little bit about what inspired me to do this. And awesome. Yeah. So I guess in a few short sentences, I can say um, I grew up in North Carolina. I'm now living in Philadelphia. And the reason why I um, explain myself as from from birth is because um, I am. <laughs> and it's really like, it's an important thing for me to get out like right away, usually in like conversation, because it's always the assumption that it's otherwise. Um, So then usually the follow-up question is something along the lines of like, okay, well, what about your parents? But my parents' story is not my story. So I don't really feel like it's my obligation to share my parents' story. And if they choose to in their own conversations and lives, like I leave that to them. And I just kind of 
own my own, like, where am I from? Um, and it's, it's very often, especially when I first moved here, it was always like, hey, who are you? What's your story? And I'm like, I don't really have a story. <laughs> like I'm here. I'm just like you. I'm from, from birth. And I mean, and it's definitely not like in the same vein to say that people that aren't, there's like a problem. It's, it's not everyone, you know, from all walks of life, but um, the, it's usually such like a quizzical, like, what do you mean? There's no way you're like, there has to be more to the story than that. <laughs> I'm like, there's not, <laughs> it's just very funny, like to think about, but my life. <laughs> I can identify with that a lot because when I say grew up in Moscow, oh, Rabbi's sure. family, the first question would be, are you Chabad? And we're not Chabad. Right. <laughs> so that would be like the natural question to which the answer was always no. And it usually opened like 10 more questions instead of ending a conversation. You're usually invited 100%. to a conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So what has your experience been being from from birth and black? So the most interesting thing that I still like talk about with my mom all the time. And I talk about even with my therapist, like, why didn't I have this crazy experience growing up? Like, but my community for one, it was very small. So the Chabad in Raleigh was very small. And now it's, I mean, honestly, it's practically like not really thriving in the way that it was when I was growing up and I was there. So since I was born into that community and like people that I know I've known for so long have memories of like me nursing in shul and going to sleep as like a baby. Um, I was very comfortable there. So growing up, I didn't experience like any racism. I didn't experience like firsthand. Anyway, um, I didn't experience any difference. So I didn't like pick up on anything like that. They're just, everyone was so accepting. They knew me as Aaliyah. They were, we were the Washingtons. That's it. Um, it was really only until I grew up like, 14, 15. Um, and I started to take jobs at other summer camps um, in the States. And when I was like kind of traveling and met other counselors and was outside of my community and my little comfort zone, it was so different. All of a sudden it was like, who are you? Where are you from? Like, who are your parents? Who do you know? And I was just like, what is happening? It was so against like anything I'd experienced as a kid. Um, and we were really good friends and still are with the family that lived in Crown Heights. And now they live in Long Island at Pittsburgh. And we went to them every single circus. We went to 770 every single circus. I have memories of like losing my Tati in the sea of like black hats and like not knowing where to find him and on Simchas Torah and like being worried. And um, I remember Simchas Besa Shueva, like these were my memories from childhood. So like kind of having that be called into question as an adult was very weird. Like Judaism was never something I felt like I would ever have to defend or like prove to anyone. And it was a very jarring experience and kind of just like out of my world, like totally out of my comfort zone. And it kind of made me feel like for a bit, like there was this whole ugly side to this faith that I grew up with that I was like, wholly unprepared for and I didn't really know how to process it so then being in from schools until eighth grade and then going into a completely not religious high school not Jewish high school um, was another culture shock on top of that and it was really hard to find like okay who am I where do I belong what's what is my life supposed to look like and it was just it was all very very challenging so now being in a community um like Philadelphia and having a six-year-old and now a baby 
Um, it was very weird for me in her first year of school coming home, like Ima, the kids are saying I'm not Jewish. The kids are saying I shouldn't make brachas or um, daven with them or say Shema, like, because I'm not Jewish. And I was just like, what? That's not possible. Like kids don't experience that. Like I didn't experience that. So like, there must be more to the story, but obviously this was all in my head to her. I was like, God, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm so sorry. That's so horrible. Um, you know, let's problem solve, but it was really, really hard as a mom. Like this is way out of my like range completely. I don't, I don't really know what to tell her. So that's where my parents came in and were like, oh, <laughs> racism in schools, we've got you covered. <laughs> Send her over. We'll talk it out. We've been there, done that. So it was nice to have like that kind of support because, yeah, I was feeling very lost for a bit. So the way you describe it, there's this time in every person's life yes. where they have to just face the idea that there are races and there's there are differences and other races can be Jewish and other races can be whatever stereotypes we right. build in our heads and stories. And what I have done a lot with my education and awareness that's been happening for me over the last year is understanding that the conversations have to happen on every side in with every child. And speaking to you, you said how you went into the schools and you started talking to them about creating some sort of yeah. education around it instead of ignoring it. Which brings me to like my first question to you. There are people who say talking about it creates the problem. Right. Why do we need the conversations and why are the conversations so beneficial and important to creating change? Right, that's an excellent question. Through thinking about it, I guess I just came to the realization that it's not just like racism. That's more of like a, I find that that's like the tip of the iceberg. And once you go underneath it, it just starts at like simple prejudice, like acknowledging differences. And um, having a prejudice against something is very, it's like almost borderline. It's not quite, because a prejudice, you could acknowledge that like, you know, people of color or even people that are different for disabilities or whatever it is, whatever the difference is, um, you could say that like maybe you're not so comfortable with it. So I think the first step is acknowledging the prejudice as something that's present. It's human nature to acknowledge a difference and feel some way about it. I think the racism starts to come into play when that's put into action. So when it's just kind of staying a prejudice or something you're aware of, it's more or less harmless because it's more like it's kind of like an idea that there's a problem that exists in your mind and you know you may or may not want to work on it but when it gets into racism we're talking about like knowing there's a prejudice and then treating those people differently and that's where the problem comes in so I think that if we go back to kind of talking about it talking about differences particularly amongst young children who are so open and um, resilient and are really good at sifting through new information with the help of adults. And I think if we start there, just talking about different um, differences and, you know, where people come from and how experiences might vary um, based on color or really anything, then it kind of opens up the conversation to when there is a prejudice, when they're older, even they don't even have to be that young. They could be 
Um, I mean, they don't even have to be so much older. They could be three like Hannah and acknowledge that, you know, something about me is different. It's continuing the thought for them. Like, yes, something's different and it's okay or something's different and that's the way God made us and like kind of helping them get through that natural kind of adverse reaction. Right. So I love that. And so you say when prejudice is turned into action. So when a child just says, oh, you have a different nose or I have actually experienced that or oh my gosh, look at your hair, right? So I've my child has said those words and I'm standing there as a mom and right. what do I do there, right? So that's that's not racist. That's a child making a comment based on seeing something different than what she's used to or than what she sees in the mirror. For sure. How, and especially with the way we raise, by we, I mean Orthodox Jews, the way we raise our communities is all about we're different and we want to stay close knit and we only want to go to the school with people who who wear that those kinds of clothes and who have that kind of tablecloth on their table and who only eat that hechsher that's part of the education how do you teach the next generation of from orthodox Jews who want who want to conform that's part of the value system in a big way to be comfortable around people who are different, around cultures, because that's internally, it's almost designed to prevent assimilation, right? So it's ingrained. I don't know if my question is so formulated or articulated here. So what do you have to comment on that? Right. So for sure, in a lot of closed communities, for sure, like it's definitely the idea that they don't want to assimilate. Um, And a lot of that is understandable. I think kind of fortunately and unfortunately, um, although they're not the same, there are so many parallels um, of anti-Semitism and racism. So in the same way that when the outside Jewish world, like I just read an article a while ago um, written by a Hasidic man, I think in Williamsburg maybe, saying that it was so tiring to to see tourists come from Manhattan or wherever, like people from Europe even will come and they'll come on these tour buses to view these Hasidic communities, basically to look at them, like look at their funny faces and look at their funny payas and look at like their wigs. And it's really horrible. And he said in the interview, like the reason why these things happen is because they don't know us. They don't know what we do. They think that we're like a spectacle. They're just making all these assumptions about our lifestyle. One of the tour guides even made the like centuries old, stereotypical, awful, like hole in a sheet joke. And he's like, they assume that we're like animals just to be stared at and like joked at. And it's that unknown that is so awful. But if they were to have Shabbos with us, if they were to get to know our customs, they would understand that we're not so different. We're humans just the same. And it's so similar to the way that insular communities can look at other ethnicities and cultures. You don't necessarily have to learn like from them in order to change your lifestyle. But I would say to communities that are more closed off and you don't have Black Jews living there and their only experience with Black people is probably watching the news or like when the riots happen, um, it's situations like that where it's an unknown. It's seeing a generalized idea of, P- of a group of people 
So in that same vein, like you're taking the things and you're just drawing that as to like, that must be how they all are. And that's where it kind of gets like the gray area. Like we have to separate the two. I wouldn't want somebody to come and look at a Jewish community and, you know, say the same thing. And I think there's just such a huge difference between like assimilation and just learning about it. Just like thinking, you know, when we see the mailman, he's not Jewish. This is his job. This is his lifestyle. He's a human being. Like we don't have to say, you know, grow up and be a mailman if that's not what we want for our kids. But, you know, it's just being able to recognize the humanity in other groups of people. Um, because then you can truly not assimilate when you know everything about other cultures. You can choose the nice things to take from it, take it or leave it kind of thing. Like you don't have to, you know, go live your life the same way just by gaining information. Yes. I love how you differentiated education with actually necessarily spending time. Going off to college is a big no-no for many Jews because they don't want to experience um, becoming friends and friendly with people who aren't observing the Jewish Orthodox lifestyle. Right. A lot of people are against that. Because it's so easy to go and run off with a non-Jewish person. And then next thing you know, your children are not. Jewish. And and people have experienced that. Many Jewish families have experienced that. And I know the, at least the Hasidic community, they have designed their community. They, they have preserved their clothing and their language to look so, so foreign to the outside world on purpose. Like that's the purpose. So they look like animals in a zoo, quote unquote, <laughs> how you mentioned it. But, um, they did that on purpose. So I think education, I, I don't know if education is going to happen in those communities, but I think more open communities and communities like ours should have more education around it. Absolutely. Right. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Talk to me about how, what are practical ways we can help remove stereotypes for communities that are very close knit and do not have or have very limited internet access? Right. Um, that is a hard one. <laughs> so for example, if people in Brooklyn, right, the only exposure they have to other religions, people, people of faith or people of color is whoever's making the loudest noise. So whether they're in the news, well, they don't have TV necessarily, but like, right. let's say something bad happens, crime, or if there's loud right. music on the streets and parties, that that's all the exposure they're getting. So how do we expose them? How do we educate them? We're talking a lot about the education. What does that look like? Right. Practically speaking. The hardest part about those types of communities is that oftentimes I'm met with basically like an unwillingness kind of like in a way like ignorance is bliss. And it sounds like it's a tricky area because you don't want to... Um, I mean, there is a beauty in wanting to preserve, you know, what we fought for for so long. Like, even as a Jew, I completely understand, like, you know, you don't want to kind of uproot these systems of, you know, our schools for our people and, you know, wanting to keep the pride in our, um, in our faith. So it gets a bit tricky. However, like, I find that it's not like, it's not really being, I don't feel like it's really under attack in the same way. 
like, it's very comforting for me in my community because, you know, everyone here, like I know everyone here. Um, my daughter's been here now since she was two. Um, so we're very established here. So just like kind of learning something that goes so against what I've been taught in my schools. Like I could see how that would feel a little bit scary almost. It's like, it's going against kind of what, like what's the point of sending to an all from school, you know, and so that I know what's being taught. Um, so it's hard. Like I wouldn't just, like I wouldn't expect all the schools in Crown Heights to just be like, all right, let's pick up Black History Month. Like it's tricky. A lot of times it's like, well, it's not affecting us. It's not broke for us. So why kind of fix it? Um, but I think the point is that when you don't teach about it at all, you're at mercy of what you see on the news and you're at mercy of your one interaction with maybe a black person in the shopping center or whatever. Like it's not, it's kind of like, it's, I wouldn't say it's doing more harm than good. It just kind of makes it very hard to get that information in there. So like even sites like COL are so um, focused on like the negative parts of other cultures sometimes that it's hard to shift that. So like, I'm not gonna send out an article like, hey, I'm a black Jew here reading your news as well. And, uh, you know, it's nice to see my Lachayim, but it's not nice to see, you know, every other day, like somebody um, saying something racist, like it makes it very hard um, to kind of be a part of both worlds. So obviously I have a sensitivity to both worlds. Um, it's very like, it's very challenging. Like, I don't, I don't know what the solution would be. It's I don't expect from schools to reach out wanting to include that in their curriculum per se either, because I mean, aside from like Jewish holidays, um, I don't really see it being taught and I don't really see it being a necessity. Like what would they gain from knowing that information for me as a black Jew, obviously there's tons I feel like could be gained, but I don't expect everyone else to have that same experience. So it does make it really hard. Um, like what's a need to know basis. I find that knowing like having as much knowledge is obviously the best way to go um but i i'm also very realistic in knowing that a lot of schools probably don't share that as like a value um so it does make it really hard definitely the more closed off the community from the outside world the harder it is to get that information out there bringing back to inspiration for this conversation to begin with i was having a conversation with malia fivelson on a previous podcast episode and she has her radio station and she does not exclusively play women and she plays men. And then it's more complicated for her to play women because of Kolisha. And I remember calling her out and saying, unless you are being proactive about creating a platform for women to share their music, you are automatically being unhelpful. <laughs> and I don't know how I phrased it, but unless you're being proactive, you're not helping the cause, even if you think you're helping the cause. And we had lots of conversations after that where I was like, I know you're single and you got and you're already fighting the fight of trying right. to 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 find a match while you're in radio and it's already so controversial. Like fighting for feministic issues, quote unquote, doesn't help your cause. So we let go of that a little bit, but then it stuck with me. And these are new like thoughts and ideas for me because I have never thought about it and I had no education around it, whatever I picked up around me. And then I've been in this uh, mastermind in the last few months and 
the understanding, something clicked is unless I'm doing something for anti-racist initiative, then I'm automatically not helping. It's not that you can stay parif or neutral. You have to be actively doing something as a white person, as a from person, whatever it is to like, it's not enough to just not make racist comments, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the start. <laughs> I didn't know that, like that there's no education, there's no conversation. And right. I can't, like, it's shocking to me that I'm 28 years old and I'm learning something so basic for the first time. And again, that's mm-hmm. because I have so little exposure and I've been working with an African-American producer for, I know him for the past 10 years now. That's probably the closest relationship I had. Now I work with someone in Nigeria as well, but that's not in person. It's all online. And, and then like I have my nanny who's amazing but and you, but like it's literally on my hands, these relationships that I have. I can count them on my hands. It's so minimal. Like most of my counters are through media or, uh, you know, in malls. Okay, so let me get to the conversation. What is appropriate? This also comes through mind when you have two rabbis discussing the roles of women in Judaism, right? You have males talking about female issues and then almost feels wrong for white people to start talking about what can they do to improve or to create more education or awareness or opportunity. The line is so thin and almost invisible and everyone's like pushing it from one side. What would you like to share or teach from your position Say no, this would be helpful. This is how you can be proactive. And I know we're going in circles here, but like forget education in schools. Now, practically speaking, adults. Absolutely. In real life, parenting, <laughs> parenting um, moments, teachable moments. Yeah. How do you navigate that? So much easier. <laughs> so I would say to start, thank goodness, like we have so much education at our fingertips now as adults. Um, and a lot of times, especially in from communities, like we said, you know, a lot of our exposure is very, very limited to what we see either in the media or just like watching the news or whatever. Um, so the nice thing is that we could access a lot of stuff. And I think that sometimes when you kind of experience something negative, like you hear a black guy robbed a store, the black people are out rioting or whatever. Um, we could just kind of do the extra step of going beyond that. Like, you know, why are these Black people here? (laughs) Let's start there. Why are they making these choices? And obviously, you know, it's not as simple and Black as white as like, why are they here and making these life choices? But, you know, what's the history of Black people in America? That's always a good place to start um, and learning about, you know, why they're in the situations they're in. We can go back to slavery, which is like a basic, but we could also go a bit more recently because 50 years is not so far off. It's not even that long ago. And we can look at you know, Jim Crow and um, what institutions still kind of have that lingering in their infrastructures. And we can look at redlining. Why are people, you know, put in the neighborhoods that they're put in? Why are those neighborhoods looking the way that they do? Um, Where were these people pushed even back then in society? And why are their kids still in these same situations? Um, So that way, kind of just having the background helps a lot too, because of course, like it's starting to change the narrative now, especially in 2021 of like, let's stop putting it on black people to end racism. Realistically, we didn't create it in the first place. So like, we can definitely look at that from that um, side of things is like, 
having the acknowledgement that this is where um, it started in society. When did we first start seeing racism? If it was slavery, let's look at slavery. Let's look at what's still lingering in communities where Black people were pushed out of. Um, let's look at it in banks where people weren't able to get loans. And the reason why I focus on education for adults is because that way, if that's fresh in your head, when you are you know, starting a new company or when you are looking to hire someone, you can look for a minority that's qualified. We're not looking for like apologies or handouts or anything like that. We're looking for acknowledgement from people that are people of color in general that did work to get where they are to be looked for for job positions, to be looked for in spaces where there's not enough minorities. If you're, uh, you know, giving out scholarships or trying to find people, you know, definitely look to your people of color communities that didn't have access to the private schools. Um, look for people that tried through the public school system to get where they are today. Look at hiring opportunities and stuff like that. Just kind of using that privilege of like, I'm looking for out at a group of people. Um, maybe look at people that are trying and didn't have the same kind of access to information, but, you know, still somehow made it through um, and things like that. And that will kind of start to shift just the opportunities. We want the same opportunities um, of getting into schools um, when we're putting in the same work. Um, I know I could even say personally, not directly, but my brother had a hard time for the same reasons, being fresh out of college and not being chosen versus his white counterparts. Um, so, I mean, obviously no one will ever know if that's why, but if you're in a position to hire, it's just something good to have in your head. Like, let's look society-wise who's struggling. Like I would always, it's this, it's like a very, I find it anyway, to be a very from idea also. Like you're always supposed to look around your community and kind of try to see where you can help out um, and it's kind of the same. So it's just like learning about it, giving them spaces to speak that's comfortable and, you know, trying to learn as much as we can about other people so that when we are in a position to help, we can, um, because we know. So that would be the start, I'd say for sure. <laughs> what else? Not shying away from the harder conversations like you are definitely not shying away. <laughs> I listened to an episode recently on Freakonomics. I am such a fan. How uncomfortable conversations are more wanted than unwanted. Oh, yeah. And that's a bridge to building real relationships. It is. Like when there's an elephant in the room, like someone being ill, you know, and, right. and no one wants to bring it up. It, you know, the both parties of the conversation benefit from bringing it up. And, of course, it has to be in the appropriate way and it has to – be done with a lot of respect and space, but it's something that's wanted by both parties. Right. So that was another kick that I had of inspiration to, you know, go outside of my comfort zone, especially because this is so new to me. And it feels like so weird to say that because like, hey, <laughs> you're an adult, you're educated, you should know some basic things. I hear you. I think life experiences really shift things and give perspective on things that you you don't think about or is not presented right in the right way. Okay, so I I think this is definitely something that's coming up for some of our listeners. It comes up for me as well. You know, as a Jew, I who whose parents and grandparents have come from the old country, you know, from Europe, I'm not part of American history. I 
do I need to apologize for the color of my skin? Do I take on, you know, American history pre my time? It's not part of my family history personally, and I'm sure lots of Jews feel that way also. We're also immigrants here, or we 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 didn't enslave your ancestors, right? So how how do we shift responsibility in an appropriate way where it's not about you know blaming others or removing yourself from accepting any responsibility? And you've mentioned some very helpful things that any individual listening to this can take and go with and say, I am being proactive on my behalf. And if you're living in Israel, there are plenty of opportunities for you to hire people of color there as well. There are probably more opportunities when it comes to from Jews even. Right. I guess. Um, yeah, I'm not, I have a really like weird feeling with the whole, like just apologizing thing. Cause I don't think it's necessary really ever, you know, like nobody, there's really no one that's like so directly involved in what, like when you're talking about an infrastructure as huge as like racism, especially in America, you can't go far back in America anywhere without bumping into it somewhere along the line. Um, so it makes sense for sure for like an immigrant, um, to feel like, you know, this isn't my problem. Like I didn't really create this. Like, so how do I have a hand in fixing it? Um, and the, it kind of just goes back to like, to some degree, I guess we're all responsible for each other, but that might not look the same for everyone. For someone that immigrated as well here, um, you know, you don't, it's, it's, it's like the double-edged sword. You don't really have to search that far to relate, which is nice. So sometimes even just finding a common ground, like, yeah, I know what it's like to be um, a minority in a space and not feel accepted or because I have an accent even, or because I look very different um, <clears throat> to, I guess, your typical American, which even sounds weird in itself because America is literally so diverse. Um, but even still, I mean, there's so many instances where you could be the only one. Um, and there's enough space that you still end up sometimes being the only one. So that weight will fall on you to like, you know, am I gonna <clears throat> reach out to somebody that may or may not like feel the same? Like we've kind of been, um, we have that luck of like, we can relate. We actually can identify. And especially as Jews, we've been persecuted. We've been kicked out of places. We've been told that were you know not society's idea of perfect or even like human at times for sure um and I think the nice thing about it is that it is so relatable like I know what it's like to be down and out and I know what it's like to need people to fight for us because we're the minority we're not you know we're not a majority of the police force Jews still aren't um we're not a majority we have our own schools so we're not even making up that much of like the public schools in a lot of larger cities anyway um and especially like ones that at least are orthodox. Um, so it is hard, like there's, that comes with its own struggle. So kind of just even sharing that common ground can be really helpful. Um, and just like knowing that it is a problem. And even if it's not a problem for me personally, like I honestly don't relate to a lot of anti-Semitism. Um, Most people just don't assume I'm Jewish at all. So I've never experienced anti-Semitism firsthand. The only time was walking home from show with my husband um, who had a keep on. And he said like, hey, first word, nice hat, like in like a slur. 
And then he drove off. So like, and I was shaking the whole way home. I was like, stop looking behind you. Like we need to get home as quickly as possible. My husband's like, I'm an ex-Israeli soldier. Like this is not like, this is a walk in the park. Meanwhile, I'm terrified, like walking through my neighborhood. So it's not the same, but obviously I can still relate. I can still say like, yeah, this is a problem that needs fixing. It's horrible. One of my very best friends had pennies thrown at her walking through somewhere. And like that story enough in itself, like completely just shook my whole day. Like this is stuff that happens. It's insane. Um, And like, it's just, yeah, I think that the, sometimes people feel like unless they've experienced it in the same way, then there's nothing they can do about it. But it's just so the opposite. There's so much, you know, sometimes just lending an ear, um, saying like, I hear you, that must've been horrible and kind of validating that can be really helpful. So I love what you're saying. And when something happens, people need to react and use their space to say, you know, I'm going to, I'm putting up a black box today on my Instagram. And then there was a lot of hate toward that because what are you doing the rest of the year? <laughs> you know? Right. So right. I, I didn't want to be somebody who's like, this is going to be great for my ratings. Let me talk about this, you know? Right. <laughs> and And when this idea clicked in my head and you so validated that, it was like, no, this is actually worthwhile talking about, being uncomfortable about, bringing it up, and potentially being open to scrutiny for like using this cause to my advantage, if this at all is to my advantage, who knows. But um, what I gain from this is empowerment, that every individual person can be part of the change. Nothing, no one's going to swoop in. Nothing's going to plop into this world and change everything. The only way things are going to change is if every person listening to this episode and every child who's going to hear a constructive, teachable moment from their parents or just from modeling behavior and, and acting in a dignified way and validating perhaps employers who will now consider actively looking for a qualified candidate for a job they want to fill who's not necessarily going to come from a shul referral, you know, between Mincha and Meyer. Right. So for sure, (laughs) this, which is how a lot of like jobs get filled around this community. So for me, it was very validating and inspiring to hear that, no, I can do something as an individual. It actually matters. How I parent my kids actually matters. And the more people embrace the idea of I have to be proactive in order for things to change and not just stay silent and not just pretend it doesn't exist and talking about it creates the issue kind of belief. Right. That's how things will actually make an improvement and it will it will help the next generation uh, grow up with better value systems with less prejudice with with more awareness yeah right and i just want to add something the world we're in right now which is very cancel culture where we're so politically correct we have in a way by trying to engage more conversation and more uncomfortable or or people going outside of their comfort zones to create new relationships and to hire diverse employees, the whole cancel culture and being politically correct closed people off and like, let me be safe. Let me not start an uncomfortable conversation. 
uh, let's not ask the question. You know, let's just stay silent because that's the only safe thing. And honestly, I don't like that. That doesn't speak to me. Right. That's why we talk about sexual abuse on this podcast. That's why we talk about women needing to express themselves as from Orthodox women, even when it's right. crossing lines they may have thought cannot be crossed after getting more education around what's okay and what's not okay. So this is exactly the same thing. And I, I don't... I don't like the whole politically correct thing because it does not inspire people being human toward each other. That does not inspire people being curious and being respectful and being uncomfortable and and going the extra mile. So I have an issue with the whole like not cancel culture, but I have an issue with like the as a because I don't know, I guess I haven't looked enough into it, but Basically, I don't think that people should not speak out when they're, you know, trying to combat racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, any of those. People should speak out and that should continue to happen. Um, And I think if it's at the risk of like getting canceled, well, most of the time anyway, I can't say with everything, um, but most of the time when we see like victims of culture, cancer culture, we're looking at people that either said outwardly racist things or people have been canceled for like the whole like making blanket statements about Jews or um, making horrible statements about women and stuff like that. So I do think it is something that like, it makes sense why people shy away from it because it's like, who's going to be next. But then if if you dive into, um, you know, kind of why it's happened in the past, then it's like, okay, so just don't be sexist or racist or horrible, then we should be okay. And as far as politically correct, I kind of feel the same. Like it's not politically correct to say that like all Jews have large noses. So if, being politically correct means that you don't say that then like maybe things should stay a little politically correct I think it's just as a guard because there are some things that as a society we could all agree on are like horrible things to say and I think that people do take it too far when they're like oh you know let's not let's not make um like any statements at all let's not speak out at all because you know we're you don't ever want to say the wrong thing but isn't it okay to speak freely at the risk of saying the wrong thing and then being able to understand why it's wrong and apologizing versus let me say nothing. Let me stay away in my little bubble. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm bringing up. That's what I'm bringing up. That's more of the problem. For sure. People like, like that are out there with the intentions to spread awareness or, you know, bring change. These are not the people that are like, you know, that kind of, need to stay quiet. It's more the people that are so comfortable in their bigotry or people that are comfortable in their ways that like nothing's going to change how I feel. I encountered a black person back then and they were horrible. So we're just going to keep talking about that or highlighting that. Like those are kind of the voices that we're waiting to slowly like die out because they're not bringing about change. It's exactly what you were saying. They're not, you know, they're not willing to be a part of the larger, larger conversation that it's not my way or the highway. There's other views. There's other opinions. There's always different takes on things. I think that sometimes staying neutral until you have enough information that you can firmly take a side. There's a beauty in that 110%. I think when we're getting closer to the, you know, let's stay in our ways, let's stay stuck in them and, you know, not being willing to look at things another way or just talk to people that are from a different background. Um, that's where the trouble comes in for sure. It's not, people should not be afraid to speak out. We need more people speaking out. We need more people with um, platforms to, you know, take a side. We're not, 
you know, it definitely is true that, you know, these are not times where you can just stay neutral and stay out of it because everybody knows someone that's affected. Everyone, everybody knows someone. And if we don't, we can look for them. We can try to understand what it would be like in their situations. There's just way too many ways nowadays to relate. Um, and I want to see more of that as opposed to, you know, there's nothing I can do because there's just so much just talking about it. Sometimes somebody that would have never considered this, somebody that maybe never even heard of black Jews could come across your podcast and be like, wow, there's another world out there, you know, that I might not have considered. Like there's just so many, it's very possible. There's so many ways. <laughs> okay. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to just share or throw out? The conversation is definitely where it starts. Um, and I think that if people could, you know, catch on, like you're definitely like inspiring. And I hope that a lot of people take that, like, there's no question that's too large. And there's always somebody out there that would be willing to like share their take on it, you know, um, and definitely keeping the conversation going. Like we're here. I know there's may not be many of us in the area even, but um, there's definitely enough, you know, to get the conversations going and getting people to consider other sides of things that, you know, might appear to go against the grain a bit, but, you know, the conversation, like that's all it takes to get people thinking, to get people talking and considering that there could be other sides. So I would love to also use this platform for you to share what you do as a business. So yes, tell us what you do yes. and where can people find you or okay. follow you? Here's my sales pitch. Are you ready? <laughs> Okay. I really want to work in Crown Heights in Lakewood. So if you know any friends that are looking for makeup artists for their events, Muncie's a little far. I'm a little scared to drive there by myself. I'm not going to lie. I've done it. It was very nice. I would do it again, but I'm mainly looking for Crown Heights, Lakewood, and obviously Philadelphia, always my home. So makeup artists for yes. bridal, bridal events. Yeah. Boss mitzvahs even, whatever it is. Um, you can share my Instagram. I love working with large parties. I love meeting new people. The Crown Heights market is so hard to get into. So help me, please. <laughs> There's because so many everyone's so creative. I'm not competitive at all. I'm terrified of it. So like, you know, if you know anyone and you ever want to, if, if anybody wants to try out somebody new that is very genuine and is in love with their work and loves what they do. And if you need references, just go look at my Instagram at my latest photo shoot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we can cross post. We got this. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for coming on to this yeah, episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for being willing. So much for listening until the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to check out other episodes on this podcast. Also, make sure to go on to Schmoozy so we can discuss the episodes there. I know it hasn't been so lively there yet, but the more of you that join, the more of a discussion that's going to be happening. Make sure to check out the new music video if you want to be in the show notes. As you may know, I do offer podcast coaching. One of the services that I offer is helping monetize podcasts. And that is applicable to podcasters as well as any creatives out there because the principles are the same. Building an audience and the strategies for building an audience are the same. I did niche myself up into just podcasting, but I've been helping creatives, musicians, artists just like you and create income. So if you'd like to reach out to me and ask me more about that, please do so at franciscak@gmail.com. at gmail.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, and if you're listening on an iPhone, leave us a five-star review. Also, check out the show notes for all the links. See you next time.